And welcome back, sports fans. It's your, it's your host, Coach Johnny Hess, here with Coach Hess's Sports Corner. And as always, I have my faithful, awesome co-host, Brad Croston, with me. Brad, how you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Donnie. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. It's, it's always great to talk sports with you, sir. And as per usual, we always got to go through our game plan, and we have a ton to talk about. We'll kind of go through our normal little niche of our little sports here. We'll go through some college basketball, which has been absolutely insane, an amazing week of college basketball. We'll hit the pitch and talk about some football, loving some of the European results and, and a few uh, interesting developments over the last week. We'll hop onto the ice and check out the NHL in their second week of play and another awesome, amazing amount of games. And as per usual, our favorite point, Brad's crazy stat of the week. Always looking forward to it. Brad, you ready? Absolutely, Donnie. And you kind of led into it with college basketball. I mean, what a week. 11 ranked teams lost to unranked teams this week in college basketball so when you when you have something like that to just start it off you you know that you're gonna have quite a lot of quite a lot quite a lot of stuff to talk about it's just absolutely insane like you almost want to i don't mean to say it's almost morbid but i'm almost like thank you covid because covid is giving us the most interesting college basketball season i have ever seen just yeah just when i know you said this a couple times last week but just when you think you got a hang of it Yep, it throws you for a loop. It's becoming my quote. I swear to you, it's becoming my quote. So I'm thinking, uh, let's let's go through this. We got to go through each week. We'll talk about some of the big marquee matchups. We'll, we'll go through each day that, of the last week and kind of talk about the upsets, the games of the week. I mean, the first day, right after we're done recording, what happens? Two massive upsets right off the bat. Let's go down. We'll we'll go to we'll go to Atlanta, Georgia Tech. Hands Clemson, their rear end on a silver platter, 83-65. Clemson is on an absolute downfall after getting absolutely atrociously destroyed by Virginia. Follow it up with this game against Virginia Tech, and sadly, it's not going to get much better later on in the week. Uh, I mean, I saw this game. I mean, Georgia Tech could not miss. It was absolutely insane, their shooting ability. I mean, did you get a chance to see any of the highlights of this game? Yeah, and I mean, when you when you think about Clemson, I mean, that was kind of one of the the cool Cinderella teams, almost you could say, that we were kind of seeing throughout the start of the season. And they they were hanging in there a little bit during that first half, and then you could just see Georgia Tech just keep pulling away, pulling away, and not giving Clemson much of a chance to fight back. And Clemson, like you said, definitely on a bit of a downward trend. Three consecutive losses to Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Florida State, and then they have to bounce right back and face on a Louisville team who's now ranked and then oh no big deal you have to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and play Duke so Clemson Clemson are definitely in for a rough run so I I think it's almost that time where we say bye-bye to Clemson and the rankings and we'll have to see what happens in terms of the other teams that are out on the outside looking into the rankings but we were talking a little bit about these upsets let's go ahead and go to Omaha real quick Providence 74 Creighton 70 and Creighton's Creighton's kind of one of those weird teams, you know. They've been they've been really hot for a little while. They had they had a really close game against Kansas at the start of the year, and now they've gone and lost to Butler, and then they lost to Providence. So they they managed to bounce back against UConn, but that that little run of losing to Butler and Providence back to back it's a little bit a little bit worrying for the Blue Jays. 
A little bit like Clemson. I, I think the Blue Jays are getting exposed a little bit. I think the Big, e, Big East play, and, and it's great to see Big East basketball being strong again. Um, I like there's a lot of good teams there. They may not be championship caliber teams, but there's a lot of good basketball teams play some good basketball. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed I watched this game. It was very much a back and forth game. I think Creighton just kind of lost their cool a little bit late, and, and Providence was able to dive down low, get some easy baskets, and Creighton just they couldn't hit shots when they needed to, and I think that really – that really hurts you in games like this when it's close and it's tough and you're against a team that wasn't given a lot of opportunities or a lot of love in the chance to win this ballgame. Yeah, Providence definitely got out to a really good start, but they allowed Creighton to kind of just hang in there. And there were times that Creighton could have taken advantage of that and kind of gotten over the hump and over and into the lead, but they never did. So that's one of those things where you kind of got to look at the team and be like, that's a little bit worrying when you, when you know that they've had those chances and they couldn't quite get over the hump. Yeah, unfortunately. And that's going to happen. I mean, these are college kids. It's never going to be a perfect season. But if you want to be a team that's going to stay high in the rankings, you're going to get a good seed in the NCAA tournament. You got to win games like this. You got to win ugly. You got to win an ugly game. It's one of the biggest mantras of championship teams is you got to win when you're not at your best, because if you can win when you're not at your best, it makes winning at your best that much easier. Exactly. Going on the upset train. I I mean, this was an absolute gut punch. We moved to the next day. And unfortunately, sir, the beloved Hawkeyes um, drop one at home that I'm, I'm still in shock at this final score, Indiana, 81, Iowa, 69. At home in Carver Hawkeye Arena. I mean, I mean, what happened? Pretty much what happened is that they could not buy a basket to save their life once they hit the middle of the second half. I mean, I mean, you, you talk about a cold streak. I mean, it, that, like you said, it was a total shock, and it was one of those. I, I, it's funny because I was watching the first half of that game, and I I went upstairs to do a little bit of stuff, and then I come back down and boom, the Hawkeyes are down. I'm like, what the hell happened here? So it's, it's definitely one of those where you just hope it's a mulligan and that it's, not, um, that it's not reflective of the season as a whole. And it definitely wasn't that reflective in the rankings. They only went down from four to seven. But it, it was definitely a bit worrying seeing Trace Jackson Davis and the, and the Hoosiers just come out and pull away and the Hawkeyes just completely stagnate. So... Hopefully, like I said, it's just a mulligan, but it's definitely a little bit worrying because the Hawkeyes are, are one of those teams that they're fighting for fighting for position, trying to get it into that one seed in the NCAA tournament, and they're not going to be able to get there if they drop these games like, like that. But they do have a chance to bounce back. They have Illinois coming up this weekend, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go into our games to watch going forward. But definitely, definitely a misstep for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll I'll raise my hand on this. I, I I have to tell the funny story about this. Is is I was watching the first half, and I thought you know, Iowa played well in the first half. I, they they played, they moved the ball well, they scored, and I I I'll, I'll raise my hand up. I'll say this: I fell asleep. Donnie, Two minutes Donnie, into the second Donnie. half, I've been working overtime at five a.m. Come on, gotta give, <laughs> give me a break here, okay? I fall asleep. I wake up, and I'm like, the game is over, and I didn't know the score. I didn't know the final score, and I changed it on my ipad which i was watching it on and i looked i was like oh my god they lost what happened so i go back and i watch the highlights and it was like literally indiana is such a pesky team they just kept 
coming. And Iowa's defensive frailties show their ugly head. And if they can't score, it is going to be so difficult for them to beat teams. This It really exposed Iowa's just lack of defensive intensity and defensive ability on the defensive side of the basketball. Indiana just kept coming. Iowa could not stop them. And, and it almost kind of, as an Iowa fan, makes you question, are they going to be good enough to win the Big Ten? I mean, is this going to happen in a conference tournament game? Is this going to happen in an NCAA tournament game? I mean, Fran McCaffrey, all due respect, has this mantra occasionally of the February fade where his teams fade in February. They don't play as well. So as an Iowa Hawkeye fan, you got to be a little concerned that this team is regressing a little bit, which is kind of scary. And then talking about that February fade, I mean, there there was one especially like that for Oklahoma a couple years ago when Trey Young was there. I mean, OU started off really well, and they were ranked in the top five, and then they completely fell off. They fell down to a, I think it was a six seed in the NCAA tournament. They lost in the first round at North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. So that that February fate is definitely real. And there was a there was a point in this game where Iowa went from from about the twelve minute mark in the second half all the way to the two minute mark in the second half. So a stretch of ten minutes where they only scored three points. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I think that they didn't make a single field goal the last twelve minutes of the game. So when when you're talking about all time cold streaks. That that that's the definition of it. So, and the scary part is, this is the number two offensive team in the country. And think about that. That's 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 absolutely scary. That a team. Well, and like it's that the and it's the last team, streak. and it's the last team that you would expect that to happen to. I mean, you mm-hmm. could maybe expect that to happen with a Kansas team that's been stacked, that's completely stagnated. Mm-hmm. You can maybe see that happen with Baylor, who de- not wasn't necessarily completely convincing when they beat Kansas themselves. Um, the only other team that I couldn't really see that happening to would be Gonzaga. So that it's, it's very worrying, but they're, they're going to have their opportunities. They've got plenty more big games to prove themselves. And we, we still got about a month and a half till tournament time. So there, there's definitely time for them to work their way back. Well, and, and I think the other thing for Iowa too, is that not having the Nebraska game on Sunday really hurts too, because now you go into an Illinois team in Illinois game where you have over a week of rest. You have not played in a week. And it's, it's nothing that you can control. And Fran McCaffrey's going to have to try to find a way to keep his guys sharp because that Illinois team is going to be – I mean, they're going to be snorting. They're going to be ready to go. They're at home, and this team, this game has been aggressive the last couple of times. So Well, and then they had that happen too. They had, the, they had the Sunday win over Minnesota, and then they had the Michigan State game get postponed, and then they had to wait a whole week to be able to play Northwestern. Luckily, they went and took care of that game, but then they came to the Indiana game. They – fell flat on flat on their face and now they're going to have this postponement of the Nebraska game in between a big game in Champaign very much but I'll, I'll do all due respect to Northwestern but Northwestern and Illinois are two completely different planets all, all, all due respect all due respect to Northwestern that's a good basketball team but I think they, they benefited a little bit from a, a Michigan State team that was not I don't think is as strong as years before they got off to a good start because they caught a couple of teams at the right time I mean the 
if, if you really look at Northwestern now, I, I think they benefited from an early season schedule and they're getting exposed a little bit now. So, so we'll, we'll, we'll get off the, we'll get off the Iowa hype train here a little bit. We'll, we'll hop over to Friday. There was only one ranked team playing Friday and that was Michigan bouncing back after their kind of atrocious loss to Minnesota by beating Purdue my 17 in West Lafayette, which Purdue had been a solid team. They had pulled off a couple of upsets. So this is, Actually, for me, this is a little bit of an impressive win for a Michigan team that I think there were there were starting to be questions about this team a little bit after after the disastrous performance in Minneapolis. So to go to West Lafayette, get a big win on the road in the Big Ten against a Purdue team that had played well, I, I think is 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 going to get Michigan back on the right track. Well, and well, to, to kind of counter that point. Michigan now has three consecutive games that are postponed. Indiana, Northwestern, and Michigan State, all those games are postponed. So right now, Michigan's next game that is actually on the schedule is February 11th when they're at home to Illinois. Mm -hmm. So Michigan's going to have – Michigan's got quite the schedule conundrum here. And it's going to be kind of weird seeing how they they go – this whole time and have a couple of different AP polls come out and we'll have to see whether or not that whether or not the teams right under them or above them kind of go and kind of interact with Michigan in the rankings and see whether or not they're able to hold the the fourth spot right now because it's it's going to be interesting because there, you've got a couple of really good ranked matchups coming up especially within the top 10 in the next couple of days definitely for sure and, and it's all because of a new variant showing up in michigan so the entire the entire uh, athletic department is being shut down so i i understand it it, it does throw a, such a massive curveball into the big tens plans and it, it'll be very interesting to see but if you look at it though those are those aren't three tough teams so as you almost as michigan you feel kind of you, you feel kind of a little bit slighted because those are games that can get you back on track and get you all warmed up and peaked ready for that illinois team so it'd be definitely interesting to see how they respond when they do come back which unfortunately won't be for a couple of weeks so it kind of stinks but at least they went out and got that win in west lafayette but we'll hop over we gotta hop into saturday because oh my gosh upset saturday this absolutely one. I mean, and it all starts off first game of the day. I mean, my friend, your, your OU Sooners begin this awesome run. Um, they play Kansas at home. Kansas has been kind of struggling, and they capitalize a seven-point win over Kansas. I mean, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on this game? Uh, on this game in particular, I mean, it, it's, really, it's really good to see OU taking care of business at Lloyd Noble Center and getting the win. But I, I almost – am a little bit more intrigued about the fact that Kansas is now on a three game losing streak for the first time in a very long time. And they, they, they've got TCU coming up, which in all reality they should win, but then they have to go to Knoxville and the FCC big 12 challenge and play Tennessee this weekend. So OU with a really big win, Harmon with 22 points, Austin Reeves with 16 and Gibson 10 points off the bench. So it's a great win for Oklahoma. Huge, huge credibility boost to them. And then they had another win coming up, which we'll talk about a little bit, a little bit more coming up. But yeah, I'm in all honesty for that one, I'm all, I'm almost a little bit more shocked in the fact that Kansas has just fallen as much as they have and that they've gone three consecutive losses. But I, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on Kansas, Donnie? I mean, they're, they're, we, we've talked about them 
quite a bit recently. This is just a Kansas team that I just cannot put my finger on whether they want to be a good team or whether they want to be a team that shows their inexperience. I, I just, I don't know. Like I watch them, I've watched their last, all these last three games and it's, whether it's their 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 lack of consistency shooting, their their the ball turnovers. I mean, Bill Self. I'm surprised he's not bald ripping his hair out because of, of so much of the lackadaisical ability to keep a hold of the basketball. Their shooting has been inconsistent, but it's almost kind of the live by the three, dive by the three mantra that Kansas has kind of taken on this year. Which which I don't think they've got the inside outside game that they've had years before which really kind of I think is really hurting them because they don't have that depth to be able to get the pressure off their guards by being able to go inside so I think that's been kind of their biggest pet peeve but if I'm Kansas if I'm a Kansas fan right now I'm a little concerned because this this is going to push you down the pecking order in the big 12 and I mean with more and more coaches pushing to maybe potentially not have the big 12 turn, not have the conference tournaments. I don't, I, again, I, that's still way up in the air. I mean, Kansas needs big wins to get themselves up in the rankings because they don't want to go into the NCAA tournament as a four or five or six seed because they're vulnerable unless they go on a streak here at the end of the big 12 and wrap off five, six, seven, eight wins going into the end of the big 12 season, they are vulnerable. They, they, they have a chance to be one of those teams that goes out in the first round with not a whimper. And, and that really kind of is sad for, for such a great Kansas team with so much talent on that roster. But I mean, that's kind of been this year in Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke are all suffering the same problem. They're just suffering it a little bit more than Kansas is right now. So we will, we will definitely see. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at this. I mean, what an upset. I mean, next, next game, right after that, Syracuse beats Virginia tech by 18. What was it? And then Maryland beats Minnesota in Minnesota, which I mean, I got to give I got to give a hand clap to Maryland on that one to go into the barn and, and finally put a, a, a one in the loss column in, in the barn is, is quite impressive from a Maryland team. Clemson with their horrid week, as you had kind of already discussed earlier, Florida State beating them. Uh, Stanford going uh, beating UCLA at home by one on a last second bucket. I, I got to admit that was pretty crazy. I'm just going to go really, there's one more upset and there's a couple of rated matchups that I, I'd like to have a nice discussion over. And then um, kind of one of the last games of the night is Oregon state going into Oregon and beating the ducks by 11. So, I mean, so many upsets of, of unranked teams beating ranked teams. And we did have the pleasure of, of three ranked games. First one I'd like to talk about is Creighton, Connecticut. I mean, that's the the Blue Jays after losing earlier in the week to Providence at home, kind of buck up and they, they, they pull their bootstraps up and they find a way to beat a, a, a Connecticut team by eight, 74, 66. I mean, uh, I mean, that's a way to, to bounce back. I mean, did you get a chance to see any highlights of this game? Yeah, I did. And you know, it, we, we talk a lot about Marcus Zagorowski, right? And we talk about him being really the spear point of this Creighton team. But if you look at the box score, we had Mahoney with 20, Jefferson with 13. So you got guys that are really showing up. And then and Cockbrenner off the bench with 10. So you have four guys in double digits. And so when you can have your, when you can have your star have a 15-point night, maybe that could 
I, I don't know, maybe be a little bit of an off night in quotation mm-hmm. marks, but then have Mahoney, Jefferson, and Cockburner all with double digits in in uh in the game as well. That that really shows that it, it's a really big bounce back game for Creighton after that loss to Providence, like we were saying earlier. So Creighton, they're 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 really hanging in there. It's it's a good bounce back win for them. Connecticut just trying to hold on, trying to stay in the rankings. They fell out though. So it's definitely a big bounce back game for Creighton. We'll have to see how they're able to get on going forward. Definitely, definitely for sure. And then let's let's skip over not too far from us here in Iowa. Let's go up to Wisconsin. Ohio State goes into into Madison and pulls out a twelve point win over the over the the Badgers. I mean, I I watched this game. This Buckeye team is just pesky as all get out. They just do not give up. They do not give in. This was one heck of a basketball game, and Whiskey continues to struggle against fellow ranked teams. And it was a wire to wire win for Ohio State as well. It was a, it was a, all the way through, Ohio State was in the lead of this game. So that, that really just goes to show that they were able to keep their foot on the gas because we talked about kind of like with Iowa earlier, where they were doing well in the first half and then completely fell off of a cliff. And then those other teams that start slow and then get hot. Ohio State was able to just keep their foot on the gas steady and able to go up on a steady trajectory and win the game. So that that's a big win for Ohio State. And like you were saying, Wisconsin, they're 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 kind of kind of sputtering a little bit. So we'll have to see if they're able to get back going. They're gonna have games against Maryland and Penn State both on the road. And we we were talking about Maryland earlier. Maryland are definitely capable of pulling one off. Penn State should definitely be an easier one, but Wisconsin, if they're able to get back into the swing of things, they'll they'll go into an Illinois matchup a little bit later in February, and that one's going to be a big, big showdown. Yeah, and Whiskey's got to find a way to get some wins against some rated teams because it's really going to look horrible on their resume if they cannot get win- ranked wins because those quad wins are going to be massive when it comes to seeding. So it really, Wisconsin's got to kind of find a way to get to get a win. Um, and who knows? They've, they've got several opportunities. The one thing about the Big Ten is you're going to get several opportunities for Big Ten wins. But right now they're 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 shooting over right now when it comes to rank games. But and then we got to go the the last one, the last rated rated game, another good one. And unfortunately, Tennessee's horror week continues at home in Knoxville, and they get they get beat by Missouri, seventy three sixty four, in a game that honestly. I mean, Tennessee just did not look right in this game. It was like it was like the Florida matchup was still kind of a hangover on them. Missouri came out, punched them right in the mouth, right off the bat, took a big lead, and Tennessee kind of they kept crawling back. But as soon as Tennessee would get it close, Missouri would get a good basket. They'd get a steal. They'd get a turnover. Get another basket. It's a, kind of like kind of like that Kansas Baylor game a little bit earlier this year, yeah. where they they were kind of like hanging around, and then Baylor just keep kept stepping on their stepping on their face. Definitely. And Tennessee are like you said, they're they're really struggling. I mean, the last three games, the loss to Florida, they had forty nine points. The loss to Missouri, they had sixty four. They did come out and beat Mississippi State last night, but they only put up fifty six. So they're definitely sputtering, and they they have to face. We, we talked. We're talking about Kansas being a little bit on the downward trend, but they're they're still Kansas. They're still a tough test. So it, it's really going to be a tough one for Tennessee, and it, this is going to come down to really which team is more committed to putting an end to their to their bit of a downward trend. 
Yeah, it's that really that game between Kansas and Tennessee could be a massive redemption game for one of those teams. It could really bounce you and give you a lift going into the rest of your conference season because neither is having a lot of positive actions going through the last couple of weeks, to be completely honest with you. And it just it kind of going off a little bit of a Cinderella, kind of going off a little bit of a Cinderella run. What about Alabama in the SEC? Oh my gosh, they just keep winning. Another win over Mississippi State this weekend, and we'll chat a little bit later coming up, and a massive win. But, I mean, are you as shocked as I am that this Alabama team is undefeated in the SEC and they're getting so much help? Missouri beats Tennessee. Missouri loses. They just keep getting help. I mean, I think Kentucky, I think Alabama has a chance to run away with the SEC this year. Are we talking football or basketball here? Uh, unfortunately, we're talking basketball. This is not Nick yeah. Saban on the sideline. <laughs> That's the thing. It's it, you would think that hearing hearing this talk about Alabama being unbeaten SEC, we're talking football. And I, I got to be honest, I I don't remember ever Alabama being in the top ten in basketball. I mean, all credit to them. They're taking care of what they need to take care of. That they, they haven't had a whole lot of huge games other than the Tennessee and the Florida games earlier in the month. But they're, they're doing what they need to do. They're going to have a really tough game going up against Oklahoma. And it's funny that we're talking about a ranked matchup between OU, OU and Alabama. And we're always thinking that, that would be a football matchup. But now we got ninth-ranked Alabama and 24th-ranked Oklahoma coming up on Saturday. And the SEC Big 12 Challenge is going to be really, really interesting with that game, the Tennessee-Kansas game. There, there's a couple of really good matchups in that in that. Uh, SEC Big 12 Challenge. Yeah, that, that SEC Big 12 Challenge has landed in an absolutely electric time period because it's, it's going to put up some great matchups. I cannot wait for this weekend, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. We'll, we'll, we'll jump from that. Sunday did not have any rated teams. Iowa was supposed to play, but due to Nebraska's COVID issues, they were unable to play. We hop into Monday, and, and wow. West Virginia, Texas Tech play a classic in Morgantown and the Mountaineers get it done. 88-87. Um, Huggy Bear gets another win for his team. And, and this this Big 12, everybody behind Baylor cannot decide if they want to win or not. Exactly. You, you think you got you got one team coming up and being being a bit of a challenger and then boom, they lose. And then another team going up and boom, lose again. So West Virginia, Miles McBride getting the getting the go ahead shot with six seconds to go. Mac McClung missing. So you, just when you think that Texas Tech's on a bit of a rise, then boom, they fall down. So it, it's a bit of a trend. So we're we're definitely going to have a lot of shuffling in the middle middle of the Big Twelve rankings here. Oh yeah, definitely for sure. And then and then we to not to not be outdone. Let's let's move up to yesterday. And the first game of the night is just as good. Oklahoma, Texas, Red River rivalry basketball game. And what happens? OU wins by one. They hold on in the end. Texas cannot hit a last second shot. They pull out the victory. I see the fist bump from you, Brad. I mean, this this Oklahoma team is really playing spoiler uh, for the rest of the teams in the Big 12 after Baylor. And here's the thing about Oklahoma. I mean, you, you've got you've got the guys like Brady Manick. You've got the guys like Austin Reeves. You got all of these guys. A lot of a lot of experience in this Oklahoma team. And when you think about 
experienced teams. You think of, of teams like Iowa this year. You think of back when Oklahoma made the Final Four a couple of years ago with Buddy Heald, Isaiah Cousins, and all of those guys. A lot of those guys were seniors. When you've got a lot of experience in your team, they know they might not be the flashiest team, but they know how to get things done. They know how to get results in the end. And luckily for Oklahoma, they're hitting their stride right now with back-to-back wins over Kansas and Texas. They got a really, really tough game against Alabama coming up. But the way that they've been playing recently, I don't, I don't see why they can't win. Then yeah. they've got a, then they've got Texas Tech, and then they're going to have Baylor, West Virginia, and Texas all back to back. So we're really going to see if this Oklahoma team is truly for real. They've got a couple of really good games, a couple of really good wins back to back. But we're we're going to have a really big month of February in Sooner Nation. Did I, did I just hear that right? That if I if I do this correctly, that at the time they played each of these games, they'll have played a top 10 team for six consecutive games. Do I count that right? Kansas, yeah, was, that... Kansas was ninth when they played. Texas was fifth when they played. They'll play Alabama, who's ninth when they play. Then, then they're going to get Texas Tech. They're going to have a they're going to have a an Iowa State game, which they're they're not doing too good. But, but they're then they're, they're going to have they're always yeah. tough. Exactly. Then they're going to have Baylor at home. That that I Number think is two. going to be a difficult game for Baylor because uh, Oklahoma at Lloyd Noble Center is no joke. I but mean, number, but but number two, so number it, two, then number eleven, West Virginia probably going to get into the top ten with their win over Texas Tech and then Texas. Yep. So that they're going to have a stretch so of six top ten games within in seven. The span of seven games. That's yeah. absolutely insane. But that's, that's just, the Big 12 for you right there. But the great part about that for Oklahoma is that's a lot of quad potential quad one wins. That's a lot of that's a lot. And that'll get you up to rankings. I mean, your two wins versus Kansas and Texas will shoot you up the rank. This one over Texas. If you find a way to beat Alabama this weekend, I think you go in next week and you're in the top 15. Oklahoma's in the top 15 for yeah. sure. You steal a game against Baylor. You make sure you don't drop any. You don't drop any games in there. If you can get out of this that last four with your games against Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech, if you can go three and one, even if your one loss is Baylor, you're still going to stay in the top. Yeah, and I mean, even if you lose one of those games against, like, if you lose against Tech or West Virginia or Texas, if you if you play that game close, mm-hmm. usually they're not going to throw you down in the rankings too much yeah so o- oklahoma's in a good spot right now even though they've got all these ranked matchups they can afford a loss or two mm-hmm. as long as they keep it close and they shouldn't suffer too badly in the rankings so and uh, then they're gonna have a, they're gonna have a relatively speaking easier run in they're gonna have iowa state kansas state and then two games against okie state those are the last four and then big 12 tournaments and maybe yeah. so oklahoma right now they're, they're, I think they're in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. They, they have to take care of what they need to take care of. But if they can, I, I think watch out for the Sooners going forward. Definitely. But the thing is, don't 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 sit on the Okie State because they really pushed Baylor and they did not have Cade Cunningham. So the one thing I got to give, we didn't exactly. discuss that because I think that game kind of got anticlimactic a little bit because Cade Cunningham was ruled out before the game started. And Oklahoma State stayed in that game early, but Baylor just Baylor kind of wore on it. So that, that was one of those. We didn't discuss it because I think it, it, that game didn't end it out materializing the way I thought it would. And then kind of going off of discussions, Oklahoma's next opponent, Alabama, plays Kentucky again, continuing their undefeated streak. They are three games up in the SEC right now. That is absolutely insane. And then 
two upsets. Uh, one, I'm not sure if I would call a complete upset for me personally. Dayton goes into St. Louis and beats St. Louis, but St. Louis hasn't played in a couple of weeks. So that one's an upset, but I kind of put a little bit of an asterisk on it a tiny bit because St. Louis has had so many games canceled due to COVID. I think they're the, they were the only team in the A-10, in the, in the Atlantic 10 hadn't played any conference games because it seems like whatever team they were playing, they had COVID issues or they had COVID issues. Uh, so that one's not really a massive upset. And then Missouri, off that high of beating Tennessee, they go down to Auburn, and they Man. get beat by six. Yep. The, the SEC, I mean, if I'm Alabama, I, I'm an Alabama fan, I am grinning like no other because these teams, Missouri, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, are beating each other up, and they are giving you such a massive lead. I mean, literally, Alabama could sit on their hands for the last two weeks and still win the SEC at the pace it's going. This well, I think that Baylor could insane. almost kind of think that way about the Big 12, too. I mean, the middle middle pack teams are kind of beating each other. Like, oh, he's beating Texas. Texas is beating Kansas. Kansas is beating West Virginia. Yeah. All these teams are all beating each other. So, mm-hmm. And then all the while, Baylor's staying unbeaten. And then real quick, I I just want to throw this in here real quick. Drake is still unbeaten. Mm -hmm. Our hometown Drake Bulldogs are still unbeaten. They were down 15 at half last night against Missouri State on the road, and they come back and win by seven. So I I just want to shout out the AP poll real quick. Show the Bulldogs some love here. 14-0. Now, I I really hope that I'm not jinxing them because they have a game tonight against Missouri State the other end of a back-to-back. So if they lose tonight – I'll take the blame for that. So we'll have to see as we go forward with, with that. But yeah, well, show them some love. The the the, the valley unfortunately is not, is not going to get um, not going to get the love. And this this will be a tough one. This is on ESPN three though. So I may actually keep an eye on that game. That game starts in a couple hours from recording here. Draker Draker twenty seventh right now. They're they're behind Boise State who received one hundred and eight yeah. votes, yeah. and then Louisville who are on one hundred and seventeen. So Drake's a seventy five. They they just got to keep winning. The biggest thing yeah. for them is. Just just keep winning you'll get into the rankings because teams above them will lose because you've got so many ranked teams in some of these conferences the biggest thing for drake here is just keep winning it's just if they keep winning they're going to get into the rankings are they going to get a high seed even if they go into the conference conference tournament or even in the ncaa tournament undefeated no they're not i mean they really have to drag up their quad, their, their quad one, quad two wins. They don't have the wins, unfortunately, that are going to get them those those rankings, unfortunately. And it's kind of like – All they can do is just take care of what they need to take care of, and if yep. they do that, they'll, they'll get a decent enough seed. Unfortunately. And they'll be able to – They'll be able to do some sort of damage, hopefully. Yep, you hate saying it, but you got to pull out the Al Davis line. Just win, baby, win. That's all they got to do. If they yep. continue, if they win, they'll be fine. You can't take any more than that. So, so that's kind of the nice run over of upset, upset week. I mean, this was absolutely insane. How many upsets happened this week? Uh, just looking right now at recording, got three games going on of ranked teams. Creighton is up on Seton Hall at the present point. We've still got Maryland and Wisconsin still to play. Baylor plays Kansas State. Not sure if that's going to be much of a game, but we'll have to see. I said the same thing last week between Georgia Tech and Clemson, and look how correct I was on that exactly. one. Exactly. I will raise my hand on that one. But the, the Maryland-Wisconsin game looks really good for today. Well, and then Clemson has to play Louisville tonight. We'll have to see how Clemson yep. bounced back after the horror week that they've had. Definitely, for sure. Then we then we scoot on. Let's see how does Kansas bounce back 
against TCU tomorrow. Gonzaga goes to San Diego. Well, that's not probably worth much of a conversation. And then the Gonzaga's game... Gonzaga's currently a twenty six and a half point favorite. Yeah, and they just they just played a game this this last Saturday, and they won ninety four forty six, and they almost had their second ever triple double in the first half. Um, by Jalen Jalen Suggs ends out going. If I remember correctly, he went for eleven nine and eight. He had nine assists, eight re- no. He had eleven. Was it eleven points, eleven rebounds, and nine assi- and eight assists? He was two assists. Good lord! Yeah, it, late in the game, he was trying. To, he was trying to find anybody he could, and people were not hitting. You could kind of tell, like a was, pro, just going out and well, playing he, street ball. There was a couple of times he had obvious layups, but he passed it so he could get a, 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 an assist, and a couple of the guys missed. But that was a game literally Gonzaga could not miss. Um, they are they are continuing to show that they are they are a legit legit team this year. I, I I very much doubt San Diego, who is at the bottom of the conference, will give them much of a test, but you never know. So we'll jump next Friday. The big game on the big game of the week at this present point, Illinois at home against Iowa. This has to be a bounce back game for the Hawkeyes. They have to win this game if they want to stay in the mix to win the Big Ten. With Michigan off, they have to try to get a few games under their belt because they cannot take any more losses and let Michigan sit there with only one loss. You still have to play them later in the year. You cannot give up any ground. So this is an almost must win for both of these teams. I think Illinois, if they want to get themselves on the right track they have to win this ball game this will be a fierce game i am thoroughly looking forward to this one we go into saturday and let's just take a look we have like we said like the monstrous game in the in the in the big 12 sec with alabama oklahoma and it's the first game of the day 11 o'clock i bet you are going to be glued to your television for that one definitely let's roll through we already stated the kansas tennessee matchup in knoxville that's going to be a good one virginia virginia tech play each other let's see kansas has to go texas sorry has to go on the road to kentucky so we'll yep. have to see does Kent does Kentucky have any chance of winning that game? We'll have to wait and see. Definitely for sure. Florida and West Virginia and Morgantown, that'll be an interest that'll be an interesting one. Hop over. Ohio State, Michigan State on Sunday might be interesting. We'll definitely have to keep an eye on that. Hop over to Big Monday and another another of, of the matches we were discussing earlier. Texas Tech and Oklahoma in in Lubbock will be a good one. Georgia Tech that the pesky teams got to play Louisville, so definitely see how that goes. Oregon and UCLA, and then Tuesday we'll get the we'll get the rescheduled Iowa versus Michigan State. So Iowa will get a chance to to bounce back or or get a chance to to make up for it with that game against Michigan State. Illinois plays Indiana that day. Missouri plays Kentucky that day. And the absolute behemoth matchup in the Big 12 of Baylor and Texas on Tuesday. So we will have several really good games to discuss, sir, for college basketball. And uh, unless you have another game that you're really circling, I think we should move on to. Yeah, I think. I think we're good to move on, hop across the pond, and we'll talk some football real quick. And the big story coming out of England this week is the sacking of Chelsea legend Frank Lampard. He is gone. Tomas Tuchel is in. 
And I, I know that we were chatting about this a little bit off camera, but you, you've got some, you've got some, you've got some things to say regarding this one, Donnie. Okay. This, this is one of those as an American fan, this will always bug us. It will always bug us because we are so used to the only time that you get fired as a coach is when your team absolutely is atrocious. When your team is at the bottom of the bottom of the league, you're, you're going to finish last. You're going to get the first draft pick. We don't fire coaches when they're in the top 10 or in the top eight of their league. It, it is foreign to us. But that is the difference between European football and American sports. American sports are franchised. You don't go down. In Europe, you have relegation. You have promotion. So it is worth money to finish higher in the league, and especially in the EPL, where each position higher you finish in the ladder, the more money, prize money, you get at the end of the year. Was this firing warranted? By results, yes. By experience, yes. By timing, no. It, it, here's one of the things that and I heard this discussion on a few of the podcasts that I listened to. Frank Lampard is a club legend. No doubt about it. Well, is one of Chelsea's best players in a long time. Was he a good manager? Personally? No, I don't think he was plain and simply. He stepped in to this job because they wanted somebody who was part of the club. He coached one year at Derby, one year at Chelsea, not a full year, and he's already been fired. Chelsea's expectations for this manager, in my personal opinion, were far too high for his level of coaching experience. Do great players make great coaches? Personally, I do not always think so. Some can, but most of the time, no. Wayne Gretzky in hockey was not a good coach. Why? Because he's the greatest player. He will see things that average everyday Joe players will not see. They don't see it. So for me personally, I, I don't like when these club legends come in as coaches that don't have CVs in smaller clubs where they learned the, 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 the tactics, the strategies, the abilities, the thought processes, the pressure, because that job is not as easy as everybody thinks it is. It is not that simple to set up your team, to tell your players how you want them to play and for your players to execute that plan. Because if so, every coach that's really good would be undefeated if it was so easy. They're not. This is not that simple. Okay. Frank Lampard is a victim of his own success. And I hate saying that. I really do. He was a great player. Was he a great manager? I, I will question that because he's got less than three years experience. One year at Derby County, he didn't get him promoted. He got the Chelsea job when sorry, they told him bye-bye because he wasn't playing and entertaining enough football for Roman Abramovich who has been ruthless when it comes to his sackings of coaches. I mean, that's just fact. So 
Do I feel sorry for Lampard? Yes. Do I think it's harsh? Yes. Do I understand why it happened? Yes. And that's the sad part about it. And unfortunately, the guy they brought in, I mean, Tomas Tuchel is, is, a, is an amazing coach, had a great career. But, I mean, is he the right man for the job? I'm not really sure. I mean, this is not a job where he comes into a, a locker room that is cohesive. They had issues with Lampard's coaching style. Lampard would not talk to everybody. Tuchel is not a man manager. He's a tactician. That's what he's known for. Is Tuchel being set up to fail? Is Roman Abramovich, again, fault for the problem of getting the high-quality name more than the best manager? We will see. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is really interesting because when you think about the whole situation at Chelsea, they were given I'm Frank Lampard himself was given a lot of money and a lot of chance to bring in just about anybody he wanted. And the, the players that he brought in, I mean, let's, let's just read them off here. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Tiago Silva. And I mean, Hakim Ziyech, another one. So when you bring in all of those guys and spend all of that money, you, you really are forced to instantly demand success and, and not just like top 10, top seven, like Europa league spot level success. You have to qualify top four. You have to be in champions league and title contention immediately. Mm -hmm. When you spend that type of money and give the manager that much time and, and resources to be able to bring in all of those players and eat, and it, it was really unfortunate for Frank Lampard, like you were saying, because when when he did that, I mean, he had to know, and I'm and I'm very certain that he did realize that if he wasn't getting consistent results, that he would end up losing his job. But at the same time, you can't really expect when you bring in that type of level of talent and those and that high quantity of players that they're all going to instantly gel under a manager who, like you said, has not been around for too long. I mean, I like to think of it like I'll, I'll, I'm going to use Bayern as an example, not because I'm just a huge fan, but I'm going to kind of use the example with Hansi Flick. I mean, we think of Hansi Flick, and he was a assistant under Joachim Löw for eight years with the German national team, and he saw them win the World Cup. He was the assistant manager when they won the World Cup, and he learned – under Joachim Love, and he was his right-hand man for all that time. And so he really got to understand just how you build a team, how you set up a team, how you mesh people together very quickly and get them together in an international window or a, or a tournament setup or a World Cup setup and get them instantly ready and able to succeed. And that's why he was able to take the Bayern squad, who he had been, already been with a little bit with Niko Kovac as an assistant, and he was able to get them to gel together when they weren't gelling under Kovac, and he was able to set up the team the way that he wanted, the way that was best set up for Bayern at the time, and they were able to go off on a great run and win the treble. So it, it really is tough for Frank Lampard because, like you said, he's not, he's not a tactician. He, he's not the type of guy that's going to be able to get everybody to gel together really quickly. And then when you bring in all these – these foreign bodies, all these players that haven't played together like Ziyech, Havertz, Werner, Thiago Silva, and get him with all those guys, 
it's really difficult to say that that project is going to be able to succeed. And, and I think that that to some, to, to Frank Lampard's credit slightly, it's not necessarily completely all his fault. I mean, when, when he's given that type of money and that freedom, it's, it's almost kind of a curse to, that you have to be able to get all these guys to gel together immediately. So it, it is very, like you said, you can kind of understand why they had to get rid of him, but it, it is definitely a very harsh decision. I wish that they could have allowed him to finish off the season, but let, and kind of going into Tomas Tuchel as well. I mean, I, I don't think that this is an, an, an attractive job to get at this moment for any manager. I mean, I, I think that they got one of the best that they could have gotten in Tomas Tuchel. I mean, he's, he's definitely a guy who can take, a lot of different players and get them to gel like he was able to do with, with PSG and lead them to the champions league final. But um, th- this is definitely a very difficult and a unattractive job at the moment, because right now with all the money that you've spent, especially given the fact that we're in this pandemic with the financial market of football, very unstable and uncertain that it's going to be very, very unattractive for any manager to take this job on because if you fail and you don't qualify for champions league then you could seriously see some economic um economic you you know downfalls with this as well so you you really hope that Thomas Tuchel can can succeed and that he can get the players to gel and then finish up in the champions league spots but it's gonna it's gonna be really really challenging for Chelsea that luckily they're still in contention that I mean the mid table in the Premier League is definitely very tight and there is still time for Chelsea to be able to make up some ground, but they're going to have a lot of work to do. They're going to definitely have their work cut out for them. Yeah. And from eighth to fourth, there's only five points. It's a couple of games, but, and the other thing too is, is that you almost hate to say it, but Pulisic, you almost have to throw Pulisic in there a little bit too. But the other thing he's also had a problem with is he hasn't been able to find Kai Havertz a spot on the field that actually fits him. You buy Werner, you buy Havertz, you buy Ziyech, you buy Polishik, you bring it. But it's like the problem is they're all kind of the same player. They play in a tiny bit of little different positions, but it's like it's an abundance of riches in the same place. So there's no spots. You don't have – Werner is not a full-on striker. He wants to move around. He wants to kind of be the mover. He's not the stable number nine that, that's going to hold up play and is going to bring everybody else into it. He's not. Havertz is not. He's too small. He's still young. He's still learning. So it's like that's the other problem too is because Lampard didn't have the, the tactician and the ability, he was not playing – he was not playing the guy in the right positions and then you, you hate to even say it too i've heard rumors that the the kind of the general manager who's kind of the number one connector i have some like venenskaya whatever her name is um the issue in the in the keeper that you buy keppa for a world record and keppa is not working out then you go buy mendy and Mendy is kind of he, he's kind of okay. He's had flashes. But the problem is there's so much money being spent in one position of the field and none of it's working. I mean if you really look at it they spent something like 80 million euros on goalkeepers in the last 2 years and none of them are really working out. That's more on the board than it is on Frank Lampard. So that's it's it's another one where it's like Lampard is being fired for something that 
in some situations isn't even his fault because the keeper cannot play well, but it's the board that spent the money to bring this keeper in. So there, there's so many webs to this, and it it, it really is. When you, when you give when you give the manager and the football department the the amount of money that Chelsea gave to them, when you give them this type of money to go out and spend, it it, it really can sometimes be a a little bit of a curse, like I was saying, because if you go out and you spend this type of money and you don't succeed, mm-hmm. like like kind of talking about that, like Barcelona with Dembele, Cochino, um, De Jong's kind of coming into it a little, a little bit more recently, but like they spent all of that money on those guys. Malcolm was another one that completely mm-hmm. flopped. I mean, they they loaned Cochino away to Bayern München and he went and won the champions league with Bayern. yep it was on so the Bayern it, team to beat him eight too exactly he <laughs> scored two goals against them it's, it's, so when you when you see that kind of money being spent and you don't succeed i mean that that's that really just goes to show the kind of the the poor ability of several departments of the club from the from the board to hire the coach and give him the resources to the to the to the football department who's actually going and doing the transfers themselves so it's it's really it's really sometimes a bit difficult. Yeah, and it's the risk you take. Unfortunately, that you, you just you throw the money, you throw the money at it, and you, you hope it works. But unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't always do that. So, so we'll, we'll transfer from this. Okay, we've had our Lampard talk, and like I said, unfortunately, I hope I hope Frank finds himself. I, I think he needs to take some time off. I think he needs to go and study. I think he needs to work on his tactics. I think he needs to go. He does not need to take another EPL team. I don't even think he should take a championship team. I think he should go second division or lower, find a team where he can learn his tactics. He can get better at managing. He can get better at teaching because he, he needs that time. He is, he is not experienced enough to be able to take one of the biggest clubs in England to where it needs to be. And that's kind of the sad part is he was, he was really set up to fail and that it kind of stinks. He had some success, but just not enough for him. So so I'll tell you, Maybe maybe a little bit of an interesting job that he can maybe take up. There, there's a vacancy with the England women's national team. Phil Neville just left to coach under Miami. I don't know. It, they've got a little bit of time leading up to the next World Women's World Cup in 2023. Maybe a little bit of a project for him there. Maybe. I don't know. Potentially. We'll, we'll have to see. I don't know. Um, I know I did hear, I think, that his wife is pregnant, so he may take some time have, uh, and let and get through get through the delivery of, of the new baby and all the stuff like that. And like I said, I, I, think he need, I think he needs to take a full-time domestic league, lower league job to where he can get a ton more managing experience, not ego managing i think he needs the tactics he needs to work on that i think that's really what he needs to do but we will see again lampard is he's free to do whatever he wants i'm just going off of my coaching experience i i think he he needs to work on that so so we'll transition from that and we'll transition to the absolute i mean disaster that is liverpool right now I mean, liverpool plays man U in the fa cup falls to them and, and I, i'm I was not expecting this Liverpool team to have the glorious implosion, unfortunately, of this season being the way it is. I mean, 
nobody could have expected Van Dyke to go down, Gomez to go down, having so many injuries. You've got the COVID problems. Then Jota goes down. Then their front three are not scoring goals. Their midfield cannot cannot do the pressure that they've done normally before. Jurgen Klopp is losing his mind on the on the on the the uh, on the touchline to the point where Jose Mourinho just came out and said that that the league should be looking into his behavior on the sideline now. That just came out. So it's like. I mean, we go we go into a game against Tottenham Hotspur tomorrow, and I, I don't know what to expect. I mean, can you put your words on this Liverpool? I mean, I hate to say it, almost disastrous season the way it's going. Yeah, it's it's really been up and down. And I mean, we were just talking about spending a whole bunch of money. They went and grabbed Thiago Alcantara from Bayern, and he he's been kind of hit or miss. I mean, he's been I, th- I personally think he's been a, one of the few bright spots in that team, kind of trying his best to kind of to orchestrate in the midfield but yeah like you were saying I mean losing at home to Burnley and I I remember last podcast you said to never 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 sleep on Burnley and you kind of kind of kind of foreshadowed it and not being not yeah not being able to (laughs) score at home against Manchester United I mean two consecutive home games right there and then before that a 1-0 loss on the road against Southampton Mm-hmm. I mean, their only win this this month has been away to Aston Villa in the FA Cup, so it's it's really unfortunate. And unfortunately for Liverpool, they're not getting any easier. Like you said, they've got Tottenham, they've got an inform West Ham team coming up, and then eventually they're going to have Manchester City and Leicester back to back in the month of February, leading into a Champions League game with Derby Leipzig. So Liverpool have got a lot of work to do. They they really need to kind of rein in the wagons here they need to they need to kind of straighten things out and that they've got a chance to get Tottenham tomorrow they that they really need to take care of business they've got a couple of days rest in between the the United game and this Tottenham game but definitely Liverpool have have really turned into a bit of a question mark this year and and unfortunately those injuries like you've been talking about I mean, we can't really look past those. I mean, you're talking about probably the best defender in the world in Van Dijk mm-hmm. and, and Gomez, who's definitely is able to hold his own with anybody. So it's it's unfortunate for Liverpool, but you, you really have to start to question whether or not they're going to be able to truly contend. Definitely. And it's just it, everything that's happened over the last two seasons with both Manchester city and Liverpool having just absolutely insane seasons, putting up all these points, scoring all these goals, winning all these games. I think attrition has finally caught up to him. Then you throw COVID into it and it's just then, and then injuries and just, this has just been, except for the champions league. This has just been the season from Hades for, for Liverpool. Just nothing has gone right for them except for the champions league. I mean, and the crazy part about it is now we see an RB Leipzig team that's getting better. They're getting stronger. And this Liverpool team is just absolutely struggling. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Jurgen Klopp, I'm begging the Fenway group to bring me somebody in this window. You've only got a couple more weeks left, and you need some kind of center back help. You may even need some help in the midfield. You may even need to invest in some up forward. But the question is, does the Fenway group have the money? Are they going to want to spend 
in this in this really tough times when there's no guarantee the fans are going to be in the stands at all the rest of the season with the new variant issues and and, and it's uh, and it's um easier spread so this, really liverpool is just i mean they're a ship with a hole and no way to plug the hole and is it going to go down they're a big question mark. I mean, we, we've heard about Sadio Mane potentially being unhappy. And then you, you wonder about, do we sell him off and maybe get a little bit of money off of him while he's still a bit of a hot commodity? And then if you do that, what kind of reinforcements do you bring in? Like you were saying that they're going to need to bring in some type of help. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's really difficult. And you, you got to wonder what kind of, what kind of moves are still to be made in this in this winter transfer window? So it's it's really going to be tough for Liverpool. And the winter transfer window is never consistent, and, and unfortunately, it never usually brings a splash. So I, I I worry a little bit for the Liverpool faithful that this is this is going to be a quiet winter transfer window. Klopp is just going to have to kind of just slog through it and hope hope he gets. Jota back, he gets Gomez back. That that the young kids, Reese Williams, and some of the young center backs are able to not only stay healthy but perform. Because, uh, and, and the worst part about it is, is that slumping out of form players that have had amazing seasons. Trent Alexander Otto, Robinson on the wings, Genie Wijnaldum has not been strong. Henderson has had issues. Alcantara, as much as as much as he has been one of the bright spots. It's when he's played. Unfortunately, he's been injured or he's had COVID issues. So he hasn't played a lot. And then you have to move Fabinho back to center back to cover for their injuries there. So they've just had so many issues and so many things. So it'll really be interesting to see how they play tomorrow. So it'll be a great transition to kind of what's kind of coming up this week. Like I said, the absolutely titanic matchup, them and Tottenham Hotspurs tomorrow I, I'm I'm thoroughly looking forward to this game just because I don't know what type of game we're going to get. We have Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur that like to play defense and they hit you on the counterattack. A Liverpool team that wants to play offense, but they're not scoring. So this is going to be a very, very, very intriguing game for me. Uh, Brad, are there any other games on the, on the kind of this EPL schedule this weekend that, that are kind of piquing your interest? Yeah, I got two. So, Manchester United, we, we've talked a little bit about City, but we've got to talk about United. And just when you think that they're finally back in contention for a Premier League title, they go and lose at home today to Sheffield. Bottom yeah. of the table, Sheffield, 2-1. to one. Five, five points out of 19 games, and then they go to Old Trafford and beat Manchester United right when it seems like they might be able to contend for the league title. That's that's really, really painful loss for Manchester United. They're gonna have a game this weekend against Arsenal, who they're they're all sorts of inconsistent. So Manchester United, if they're if they're for real, they have got to pull out something against Arsenal this weekend. And then we were talking about Liverpool a little bit earlier. They're gonna have a big game coming up against West Ham United. And I, I made mention of this, but West Ham are the team in form in the Premier League right now, them and Manchester City. West Ham have not lost since December 21st on the road against Chelsea 3-0. They've gone and rattled off a perfect month of January, including two FA Cup wins, and they have a matchup at the London Stadium against Liverpool. And if West Ham are able to pull off this win 
and certain other results are able to go their way. Right now they're in fourth and they're, they're going to stay there for a little while, but if they keep pulling off these results and Leicester and Manchester United slump, then I don't know, man. West Ham United are in legitimate contention for Champions League or Europa League right now. So you definitely have to watch out for those two. Definitely, for sure. And, and looking on a little bit, a very intriguing matchup for that same Manchester United team Tuesday of next week, just before we record again against Southampton. That'll, that'll be another interesting one. And then an intriguing Arsenal-Wolverhampton matchup that same day as well. Definitely. So, so definitely looking at that. So I think England has given us about as much as, as we would like to chat. So we, so we got to do it. We, I know this is always your favorite one to talk about. Let's go over to Deutschland. We got to talk about German football. So Brad, so what, what's kind of going on in, in Germany right now? Well, what's going on is that apparently no one even wants to challenge Bayern for the league title. And as much as we all like to talk about, oh, Germany's league isn't good enough because no one's challenging Bayern. I mean, these are good teams that they're they're just they're losing at the wrong time. I mean, I mean, just this past match, past match day alone, Dortmund lost, Leverkusen lost, Stuttgart lost, Leipzig lost, Union lost. They all lost in Bayern won. And so now we were going from the winter break when Leverkusen and Leipzig were all in serious contention or above Bayern for the for the league title race now it is Bayern with a seven point advantage over Leipzig and Leverkusen are 10 points behind so now you have Dortmund and Union both are now out of the European spots so right now it's Gladbach and Frankfurt who are in the Europa League spots and Wolfsburg Leverkusen and Leipzig are all in the Champions League spots with Bayern in first right now so it's it's really interesting when you when we've been talking about especially the teams like Leipzig and Leverkusen who have been second and third for most of the season, Leipzig go to Mainz and lose three two to them. I and mean, we were talking about that Manchester United Sheffield game. Mainz are Mainz are in a relegation battle right now. They're currently second bottom and five points from safety. So Mainz go and get a three two win over Leipzig, and then Leverkusen they go and lose one nil at home to a very tough Wolfsburg team. So it, it, it just seems like no one's going to be able to challenge right now unless Bayern go and roll off a completely stagnant month. They're, I mean, they're going to need to drop several results in a row with Leipzig, Leverkusen, and Wolfsburg all continuously winning in order for there to be some sort of legitimate challenge. So that, unfortunately, I, I would like to see a little bit more of a challenge from these other teams. I mean, especially like we've, we've talked about Leipzig. They, they've been really, really tough the last couple of years. And then just last year, they were in the Champions League semifinals. And then teams like Leverkusen, Dortmund, Gladbach. So it you would hope that some of these teams can kind of get back onto a bit of a winning train and be able to challenge. But we'll have to, I guess, wait and see. Definitely. So. So a couple of games to look out for this weekend. We have a bit of a homecoming here. Bayern Munich are playing against Hoffenheim at home. And Hoffenheim's coach, of course, is Sebastian Hunis, who is the former coach of the third division Bayern 2 squad. And he's going to get to go up against his old employers in the Allianz Arena on Saturday. And then a, a couple of really good games. We have Union playing host to Gladbach and Leipzig are going to be playing against Leverkusen, so a match of, of second v. third, and that one's going to be kind of – if Leverkusen are able to knock Leipzig off and 
take another three points away from Leipzig and Bayern are able to take care of business against Hoffenheim, you could probably write the title race off right there. I mean, I mean, I know we're, we still got several match days to go, but if, if we're going to have any type of title challenge to Bayern this season, we're going to need to see a Leipzig win. So I'm not going to go out and say that I'm rooting for Leipzig to win because I'm not a fan of that team at all. But if there's going to be a legitimate challenge to Bayern, they're going to need to they're going to need to have RB Leipzig probably come out and win that game. Definitely for sure. And then I, if I do I see this correctly that we have the American Strikers game Werder Bremen and Schalke. Definitely that that's really interesting. You talk you bring that up because I saw a article earlier that Greg Berhalter is definitely going to be looking at this game in particular between Josh Sargent and Matthew Hoppy, and that he's definitely going to be eyeing a chance to bring Matthew Hoppy into the U.S. men's national team fold at some point. So we, we've been talking, especially amongst U.S. soccer circles, about whether or not Josh Sargent is going to be the striker of the future. And now Matthew Hoppy, I think especially with this matchup between him and Sargent, is going to have a real chance to be able to cement himself as a potential U.S. men's national team regular going forward. Definitely, and then that'll be quite interesting to see that. But it, it, it's great to see the Americans making an impact in Germany. That's, that's really, really awesome. I think it's great for U.S. soccer. It's really, really awesome. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that that game turns out that, that helps either one of those young men find their way onto the American national team because they've, they've really shown that they can be quite impact players when they get the opportunity um, anything else you want to chat with Germany or do you think we'll give it, we'll give ourselves a fly over to Spain? I think we can go ahead and fly over to Spain now. Awesome. And unfortunately Spain is not exactly everything that we would have expected. So, so I got to ask this, um, just looking at the table currently, Atletico still have one game in hand and they have a massive seven game lead over Real Madrid, a 10 point lead over Barcelona. Um, is this Atletico Madrid's league to win, lose? Definitely. I mean, when you when you look at the goals for and against, and you see thirty six to eight, with that, I mean, that's that's incredible. Eight goals allowed in eighteen games. That that just goes to show that Simeone is really getting every single player to gel perfectly, and that Jan Oblak in goal is being able to just do everything that he's known to do, and. We're, of course, going to have a Clasico matchup between Real Madrid and Barcelona coming up in the weeks coming up. So that's going to knock another team three points further behind Atletico. So right now, yes, it is definitely Atleti's league to lose. And if Atleti were to somehow find a way to lose this at this point, that would be just about – I think that that would be just as big, if not a bigger story, than if Bayern were to go and lose the league at this point. So it it's definitely Atletis to lose. Yeah, unless they lose half their first team and, and they fall apart or they start having – or they start going deep into the Champions League and maybe take La Liga a little bit soft. I, I just – I see it so hard for the – Two and three both have so many issues. Madrid cannot cannot stay consistent. Barcelona can't stay consistent. And Atletico's ability to hold down leads, they can take a one nothing lead. And then Diego Simone, Simeone football, they sit back, they play good defense, and they hit you on the counter attack. They 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 get you late. I 
it's so hard for me to see a way for Madrid or Barcelona to find a way to, to knock down Atletico Madrid unless absolute catastrophe happens. Um, unfortunately, La Liga is looking like a league that could be over quite soon, but it is a little bit of a surprise to see Atletico Madrid topping, topping the, the league this year. And then, well, not even that. I mean, I think it's, well, I think that it's, it's a little bit surprising to see them on top of both Real and Barca in the same year. But I think that the way that they've been able to just completely run away with it to this point, I think that that's just as big, if not bigger of a story. Definitely for sure. And and just the fact that Barcelona and Real Madrid are helping them in so many ways, they're helping them with their absolutely atrocious play or just, just inconsistent. It's really, really hard to, to watch some to, to to watch these two Spanish giants struggle so much. Um, even if they're for a while, I think a lot of people were were wanting this to potentially happen. But to to see those two clubs be successful, I think is good for football. But well, we'll have to see. Uh, just going through this week's play, a couple of intriguing matchups. I, I see the rematch of the the Super Cup, Barcelona and Athletic Club. Hopefully. Uh, Messi is 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 back from his suspension. We'll we'll definitely have to see uh, an intriguing matchup also between Villarreal and Real Sociedad. A uh, um, couple of couple of interesting interesting matchups this this weekend's play. Uh, anything that you're looking at? Yeah, I think that Villarreal Real Sociedad game is going to be really interesting. It's it's kind of crazy to see Villarreal have drawn ten out of twenty games. They've won eight, drawn ten, and they've only lost two. So I think it it, it could be a little bit different of a picture in in this league if Villarreal had been able to store a couple more goals and be able to win a couple more of these games they might be up in that Champions League spot and contending with Madrid or Barcelona for second or third definitely it would just be really really interesting to see how kind of how it goes so so unfortunately since Spain's kind of anticlimactic we'll hop over we'll hop over to the boot and we got to check out Italy which continues to give us quite an interesting title race AC Milan's lead is now down to two Roma Atalanta Juventus Napoli Lazio round out the top seven and I and I gotta say I mean can Inter catch AC Milan now that Inter has no European football? AC Milan has has European football with the Europa League. I mean, does AC Milan kind of tank the Europa League to be able to hold on to the Scudetto? Or, or kind of, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? If I'm a fan of AC Milan, I'm definitely shaking in my boots a little bit because this is this is exactly the type of thing where if you're a league leader in any league around the world you you, you dread the day where it starts to become like a two-point race a one-point race and then there, there's no games in hand right now the only game in hand is is Juventus and Napoli and they're the if if Juve were to win that game against Napoli they'd be up into third two points behind Inter and four points behind AC Milan mm-hmm. so right now AC Milan are are they might be a little bit stagnant. They lost at home 3-0 to Atalanta in the league, and then they went in the Copa Italia, and they got stunned at the very, very end by a Christian Eriksen free kick, and Inter wins the derby against Milan 2-1 at the death. So Milan, they're they're really just trying to hold on right now. They got to kind of, like like I've said a couple times, they have to weather the storm a bit. I think every every league leader has a little bit of a rough patch I know Bayern had theirs with their losses to Gladbach and Holstein Kiel earlier. Um, There's been a lot of changes at the top of the table in England that we've talked about over the course of the last couple of weeks. 
So it it is really imperative that Milan kind of right the ship and right the ship quickly. They have games against Bologna coming up on the weekend, Crutone, Spezia, and then they have a derby with Inter Milan on the 21st of February. That's going to be at 8 a.m. on ESPN+. And that's going to be the game to watch to see whether or not AC Milan are for real and they're able to hold on or whether or not Inter can kind of just go and jump them and kind of show that they're the better team in the city. So it'll be really, really interesting these next couple of weeks because, quite frankly, Milan shouldn't have any reason to lose. But with their recent run of form, I guess anything's possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's kind of like what we discussed a few weeks ago when, when you when it was asked which would you rather be? Would you rather be Man United at the top, but not as good a form, or Manchester City, who's in really good form but maybe is a couple points back? I mean, exactly. If, if I'm sitting here right now, Inter's in the catbird seat. You have no European football to worry about, so you can focus completely on the Scudetto. Completely, you don't even have to worry about the Super Cup if you really don't want to. You can play your best squad. You get the most amount of rest in between each game, and you're playing one game a week. You have no other things to worry about. AC Milan eventually has their matchups. We asked with Red Star Belgrade. Not exactly the, the most worrisome matchup, but it's another game on the legs of the AC Milan players. And when one of your best players is Latin Ibrahimovic, who's like father time at the pace it's going, um, you're just you're not going to have that spark as the season goes on. So we will definitely have to see. I'm I'm leaning that Inter right now is in the catbird seat. They're they're really really sitting well, um, but I mean you got to look at Roma and Atalanta. They're still there. They're still in the hunt. It's great to see the the these clubs in the in it. I mean yes, Atalanta may be selling a few players, but for them to still have success and to still win some games, um, I, I'm really really cheering for that. So it definitely. Uh, I'm definitely intrigued to see how, how this season continues to go on. But if I may see Milan, I am a little concerned that that loss in the Derby in the cup, yes, it's not a league game, but it really does sap a little bit of your energy and your momentum as, as the rest of the season goes on. And your morale too. It can be a serious tank in your morale when you, yep. when you go and play in a Derby and then lose right at the very end, when you can say, Oh, we played a really great game, but they're able to nab one right at the very end. And then we haven't even really talked about him, but you can't rule out Juventus either. You can't rule out Juve. You can't rule Cristiano Ronaldo out. It's always going to be, it's always going to be a case where Juve are always just hanging around, even when we're not necessarily talking about them as an immediate immediate title threat. But all it takes is a couple of bad results for both Inter and AC Milan, and then Juve is right back into the title hunt. True, and, and, and if you if you look at their schedule coming up, they played Sampdoria this weekend, and then a couple of toughies: Roma and Napoli back to back, and then you start your Champions League games with Porto. So, if I if I'm Juventus, they they are, they are in an opportunity in a good little spot to to catch up if they can if they can play good football. We'll have to see that that Roma matchup will be tough. The match the Napoli matchup will be tough if Juve do not get at least four points out of those two games, Juve starts to look a little less strong. But if they can get six points out of those two games, those games against teams in and around them, and with AC Milan having games, and it, it, it definitely Juve's going to put the Juve's got a chance to put the pressure on. The issue that they run into is that they are seven points back 
from AC Milan at this point right now. So so you've already you're already two games behind already. And then Inter Milan, you, you said that they don't have any European football, and then that's true. They they do have a couple of tough games coming up in February. Fiorentina is never an easy game. Mm-hmm. They also have a home game against Lazio, and then they have the Derby coming up. So Inter Inter are going to have a full week of rest in between all those games, and then they're going to have the Coppa Italia at some point. But they they definitely are going to have a couple of tough games that they just have to make sure that they buckle down and get the results, the tough results when they matter. They're they're going to have some really really big telling games. So you have to you always have to worry about those those ones that are going to be they they can be kind of tough, but you just have to worry. You have to strap in, hike up the bootstraps, and just get it done. Definitely for sure. And I think that is about all that I have in Italy. Unless there's anything for you, let's hop on the proverbial airplane. We'll fly back over here to the states, throw on the skates. We gotta hop into the rink for the NHL. Another dynamite week of hockey games. And but before we even get on the ice, we gotta talk about it. Holy crap! We have a massive, massive trade in the NHL. I mean, yeah, I got to say, sir, this this trade caught me by surprise a little bit. I had heard this was in discussions, but the fact that it came so early in the season did surprise me. Definitely. I mean, when you talk about two guys who just a couple of years ago were top, were top three picks in the draft, number two pick Patrick Laine, number three pick Pierre-Luc Dubois, they're swapping places, Line A to Columbus and Dubois to Winnipeg. So I, I know that the, I know that this is a huge, huge trade and a big t- topic of discussion in the NHL right now. I mean, who do you think won this trade? I mean, this is a really, really interesting one because you got a guy like Patrick Line, who has the potential to be a complete superstar, and then Pierre Lake Dubois, who's trying to break into that upper echelon of players. I really Honestly, this all this who wins this trade all hinges on Patrick Line. Legitimately. If Line plays the way he is hyped, the way he is discussed, the way he has played in his first couple of seasons in Winnipeg, Columbus has won this trade hands down, no doubt, easy slam dunk winner here. Columbus gets the elite superstar to hop onto a team that yes, they lost Artemi Panarin, but they now have just literally replaced him. They've still got a great squad. They're really, really strong and look to be an absolutely beast in their division. Um, I mean, hands down for me, if Line A performs, this is Columbus's win, hands down. If Line A does not perform, if he kind of plays the way he has the last couple of seasons, Winnipeg could win this if Pierre-Luc Dubois breaks out in Winnipeg. This really this will be a trade at the end of the year is going to be much easier to be able to tell you who won this because who goes where? Does Line A have a breakout season and take Columbus to the Stanley Cup finals? Line A and Columbus win this trade. If Pierre-Luc Dubois helped the Winnipeg Jets get into the playoffs, to be completely honest with you, that's somewhat of a win for the Jets because many people kind of talked about them not having enough to make the playoffs this year. So uh, right now on its face, Columbus win just because of the name that moves to their roster, but we'll see. 
I, I really this this will take some time before we kind of hash out who wins this trade. To be completely honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I think Winnipeg started the season off pretty well. They've got five wins in seven games. So when you think about whether or not Pierre-Luc Dubois is able to perform anywhere close to the level that Line A is hyped to be, I mean, I, I, I don't think that we have seen true superstar Line A in quite a while. I mean, we saw it a little bit when they made their run to the Western Conference Finals, but even then I think we were still kind of like expecting a little bit more out of Patrick Line. So if, if Dubois can mesh with the players there and mesh with those other good forwards that Winnipeg has, I think that Winnipeg's got a really good potential to compete, not just to get into the playoffs, but but to compete for one of the top two seeds in the Northern Division, quite frankly. I mean, right now, the, the, the Canadian Division's a little bit up in the air right now. Toronto started off well. Montreal's been a little bit of a surprise. I think that I think we've kind of talked about that as a little bit of a surprise. Edmonton all kind of just hinges on whether or not Dreisaitl and McDavid can perform well enough to be able to kind of carry them through. But I, I think that Winnipeg's got the pieces there. It's all about whether or not they're able to execute. So I think that if Dubois is able to hop up in there, then I think that that's a good idea. Then that's a good winning trade for Winnipeg. Definitely, for sure. So we'll definitely have to look. We'll definitely have to look at that. And again, it'll, it'll all just kind of depend. So, so I, I'm. I'm looking at the standings right now, and I gotta say that there, there's a couple of interesting kind of changes that I was not expecting. I mean, when we did our preview for the NHL, I, I specifically remember saying, and I, I'm feeling kind of not so good about that particular is the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, they have to be the surprise right now of this entire league. They go in and they are the one of the few teams that has gotten points in every single game they have played. I mean, did you see this coming? I mean, this this did surprise me a lot. Yeah, this definitely surprised me. Right now they have the best goal differential in the league at plus 11. And like you said, they've won four, and then their only two losses have been in overtime. So they've been able to get points out of every game. Do they – keep up with this trend and be able to perform like this throughout the whole season. I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, there, there, the benefit is there's still plenty of hockey to play and a lot of time to be able to fully make sense of what these standings are going to look like come April and May. So definitely as of right now, the Canadians are the surprise. We haven't really been able to see a whole lot of games in the central division just because of the COVID issues surrounding a lot of the teams Dallas, Florida, Tampa, and Carolina have all played three or four games instead of the standard seven or eight. So there's still a lot of hockey to be played there and a lot of points to be had. But as of right now, I think the standings are about what I thought that they would be apart from the the lack of games in the Central and the Canadians performing a little bit better than I think that we would have anticipated. Definitely for sure. And then for me, I almost, I have to stay in the North a little bit too. The biggest disappointment is Vancouver. I, I, I had heard so many people saying this is, this is a really good Vancouver team. This is a Vancouver team that can maybe potentially battle with Toronto to win the North. And right now they're, they're not in the playoffs. Again, we're only eight games in There's a long season still to go. And this is really early, but they, they are surprising me a little bit. They've owned, but they're right there. They're t- They're 
technically tied with Edmonton for the fourth spot with six points, but, but um, they're a little bit disappointing. I, I was expecting them to be a tiny bit better, but I think that's also because they played the Canadians early and the Canadians have a plus 11 goal difference, which is the best in the league right now. Again, still early, a lot of hockey still to be played. Um, but I, they, they've, none of the other teams have really disappointed me to be completely honest with you. Cause as you said, the, the central division has had COVID issues with Dallas, not playing Dallas has only played three games. I mean, when you have three teams in your league that only have played three games, it, it really does make the central kind of interesting, but uh, to, to shoot off that in the central division, I mean, from one to eight is a three point gap. Yes. We have the, the difference of games, but I mean, I really see this central division being this close most of the season. I mean, I mean, do you think I'm wrong here? I don't think you're wrong. And then you also have to inject Patrick Laine into Columbus and to see what kind of difference that's going to make and whether or not they're able to keep adding a couple more wins and, and more one-point games on as well. So with the injection of Laine and the addition of games for Tampa, Florida, Dallas, and Carolina all having to play a couple more games, I think that it's going to be really interesting seeing how the Central Division ends up shaping up once these games are played and once the once the games play kind of levels out in the division. Definitely for sure. And I'm really looking forward to so many, so many good matchups in this. Almost, almost every single team playing in this division is going to be tough. Even, even Chicago and Detroit are showing that they're, they're not just pushovers. They're definitely playing hard. They're, 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 they're definitely pushing teams and it's always good. I, I got to admit seeing D- Chicago and Detroit playing each other more than two times a year. Honestly, that is, that is awesome for the league. I think that's great to see two original six teams playing each other. That's absolutely awesome. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really liking a lot of these races right now because there there are teams that are surprising me a little bit. Minnesota being solid, not too far out of the playoffs right now. Again, still early. Um, I'll go a little homerish to who seeing seeing my Buffalo Sabers only two points out of a playoff spot right now and getting five points out of their last si- out of a potential six, including. Uh, an overtime loss and a win against Washington. Now this was a Washington team that was depleted of, of four players who were really good players for the Washington Capitals, but to be able to, to hold on to a win against the New York Rangers, which is a game you have to win in, in this situation. Um, is really good for me there. And to see some of the, some of the stars that Buffalo has start playing better. Uh, I, I don't know. This, this league is, is so intriguing this early in the season. I, I cannot wait for it more. And we've got so many good games coming up here. Uh, the, uh, any any other any other surprises that or disappointments that you see here, Brad? No, I think every team's now on the on the on the on the scoreboard in terms of wins. We got New York and Ottawa are the only teams with only one win. Um, so right now we got those two teams that are trying to fight their way back in their division. It's going to be definitely an uphill climb for those two. But other than that, like I said earlier, the it, it's so far. Yes, it's only seven or eight games in. But so far, it is shaping up more or less in the way that I first foresaw. Uh, Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado contending in the West in the top three. Those are the teams I really were thinking were going to come out of that division. Washington, Boston, Philly, and Pittsburgh. I think I picked. I think I picked those exact four teams to be in there. The order was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, Vancouver being below the line and Montreal being above the line in the North. So. 
I think that so far we haven't seen too many just jump out of your seat. Holy crap surprises, but we've said it before. There's a lot of hockey to play. Definitely. For sure. The the thing that I think is awesome is just the fact is that uh, looking at some of the, some of the results in yesterday, it's just the absolute differentiation of goal scoring. I mean, there are games five, four, seven, three, four, three, six, four, and then you get games two, one, two, one, one, nil. Um, the, 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 the difference in results is absolutely awesome. I I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I think the hockey has been relatively good for, for such a small, uh, short training camps i think the hockey's been really well i think the games are going to get a little bit tighter as we get a little bit later on in the season when i think the defenses are going to play a little bit better because they're going to have more time more more kind of gelling a little bit and and the other thing that i I look at in, in the big trend is the taxi squad is the extra players on the squads this year due to the covid protocols and all that um seeing what teams use those the best I've noticed watching some of the highlights and watching many of these games is a lot of these teams are using these taxi squads a lot. They are, they're doing a lot of rotation, a lot to kind of keep everybody fresh, keep everybody in. And it really does push a lot of these players to have your best games because if you don't play well, you could find yourself sitting out a few games because a taxi squad player could come in, play a really good game. And now you're sitting one, two, three games. So I, I like this addition of the taxi squad. I think it's making the hockey better because you're not having the same 21 guys on the ice every game, every time. I, I think it's really, really good by the NHL, not only for safety reasons, but it, it does make the hockey better. Cause I think it keeps a lot of more, a lot fresher players, players fresh for the season to come. Definitely. So, so, we, so we've went and kind of went through some of the storylines of this week. Let's, let's kind of roll through some of the games coming up that I'm seeing here. Pittsburgh and Boston have their second game tomorrow night. I'm really looking forward to that. Philadelphia and New Jersey had a cracking game this last weekend. They play their second game of this series. Calgary and Montreal. We'll see if Montreal can continue their run. Minnesota playing, hosting LA again. Uh, definitely one that I, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the two Canadian teams that really look really strong. Toronto and Edmonton. Um, face off again uh, st louis and vegas playing each other uh san jose and colorado so, so many really good series that's thursday friday chicago goes to columbus chicago and columbus i mean every single day there's so many washington and boston start saturday that will be one heck of a game dallas hosting dallas um, has Carolina, Nashville, and Tampa play on Saturday. And Saturday's got some really good ones. Minnesota hosts Colorado, Winnipeg, and Vancouver. Sunday, got a lot of the second matchups of some of those series we already discussed. Uh, I mean, is there is there one you're looking at, Brad, that kind of piques your interest? Yeah, I actually kind of like this Calgary-Winnipeg game that's coming up. There's going to be a back-to-back of that. I think that Calgary's just trying to kind of force their way back up into a higher spot in the standings. They've only played five games themselves. And then Winnipeg with the, with the addition of Dubois into the squad, and we'll have to see when he's going to actually be able to play given the border restrictions and all of that. So Winnipeg or Winnipeg are fighting for, for positioning up in the, in the North. I think that's going to be a really good game to watch. And then 
We talked about New York Rangers not being the best. Um, It's never an easy game to go into the garden and play them. So Pittsburgh's going to have a good game on Monday with them. Boston, Washington's a big one. And then like we're talking about Montreal being able to kind of stay on a, stay on a good streak and be able to keep fighting. Those are the ones that I'm keeping an eye on. Very interesting. I just got a notification. Just got a notification that you're gonna like, sir. Uh, Tennessee's running back Eric Gray has now admitted he is transferring to Oklahoma for next season. That's the second Tennessee player that transferred to OU. They had a lineman transfer, and it'll hopefully make up for the loss of uh, Creed Humphrey on the O line for the Sooners. So, bring them all in. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll take them. Uh, you have to love breaking news in the middle of our podcast. That is absolutely awesome. I think that is going to do for today. This has been another awesome week of, of sport. This is another awesome conversation, Brad. But uh, we got to go to it. We cannot get away from it. We have Brad's crazy stat of the week. What do you got for us, sir? So I'll start this off with a little bit of a question for you, Donnie. How often do you ever get out and play golf? Oh, unfortunately, I am absolutely atrocious at golf. Normally, I take my father out for Father's Day um, every year. I try to. Unfortunately, COVID kind of ruined that particular tradition there for a while. But um, I, I occasionally grab the sticks. But cow pasture pool has not exactly been one of my uh, one of my better sports. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't say that I'm too good at golf either. I do like getting out on the on the course every now and then, but. Got, got, of course, wait for all this 14 inches of snow to melt. But kind of going off of golf, we, we got to go to Phil Mickelson. Absolute legend, one of the most well-known names in the game of golf. He, he's been around for forever. He, he just played this weekend at the American Express Tournament in California. He played his 2,201st round of PGA Tour golf. And I'm not even going to bother trying to do the math of how many tournaments that is, but it, it, let's just say it's, it's a lot of golf. So it, it's not often that you have firsts after playing that many rounds of golf, but he had a first this weekend. This weekend, for the very first time in his career, in his 2,201st round of golf, he carded 18 pars. No birdies, no bogeys. Just straight 18 pars for the very first time in his career. But he missed the cut by five, by seven strokes. Wow. (laughs) And he was the first person to card 18 pars at that course since 2016. So that's pretty crazy. That's, that's insane. And the crazy part about it is technically he made no mistakes and still didn't make the cut that that's now it's, it's an even par round, which is, which is quite interesting, but that's, Wow. I, normally those professionals are, they're a little bit better at, at getting, um, getting um, under, under, under the par. So that is, that is quite interesting. Yeah. I, I, I saw that today. And I, that. Well, and I saw that and I was just like, there's no way he could have gone all that time and not had a, just a straight par 100% just par, par, par all the way through round. But first time in his entire career and he's been doing this, practically as long as i've been alive so it's it's pretty pretty crazy to see that that's the first time that's ever happened it's such a unique stat too because it's not something you would think could be almost possible with, with their skill but that, that's 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 a really good one um that's 
might be one of your best. <laughs> yeah, that, that one that one I was I, I was kind of happy that I came across that. So that, the, that was a really Taylor, nice one. The Taylor Swift one the first week was definitely that one was hard. That, to that, that was a high bar one. to set. This one is definitely up there, definitely for sure. Um, and absolutely another great one, sir. This has been another great conversation. Uh, again, an awesome thank you to all of our fans that listen to this podcast. Uh, we're, we're just getting started. There's more and more to come. We're so looking forward to it. We're getting closer and closer to one of my favorite times of the year, March Madness. And I definitely want to do a full episode on just talking the bracket later on this year. I cannot wait for that. Um, if you get a chance to uh, please subscribe to us we're on all apple Podcasts, google spotify all that please go out there please rate us do anything you can to help us out here we, we greatly appreciate it it's been so much fun uh brad been another great conversation got anything to say to our fans well if there's anything to watch this weekend definitely keep an eye on all the college basketball we got a lot of good games coming up the sec big 12 challenge there's a lot of great football on this weekend make sure to tune in we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about next week and i can't wait to get to it yeah just cannot wait and this saturday is going to be absolutely insane with that big 12 the big 12 sec showdown is going to be fun so that will do it for us this week ladies and gentlemen have a great evening and we will talk to you next week